It is uh, good to see all of you here this morning. Would you open your Bibles up to the book of Joshua, chapter 1, page 204 in the Pew Bibles provided, if you're not used to looking at a Bible, uh, or you will be able to follow along up on the screen. The new year is here. Uh, We have made it uh, successfully through the year of our Lord, 2016 and uh, are in the year of our Lord, 2017. You know, a lot of times we seem to lose the sense of that. We lose the significance. Uh, we, we live in A.D., right? Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, that no matter how things seem to go for you, no matter how you seem to feel about things, it's God's year this year. It was God's year last year. It was God's year before that. <laughs> and it'll continue to be God's year. You know, if this is the day that the Lord hath made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. So... We are back up to our series, The Ordinary, the Extraordinary, Ordinary Christian Life. Let's flip that around. I don't know if I told you that in the process of uh, deciding what we were going to call this series, I flipped back and forth between Ordinary, Extraordinary, and Extraordinary, Ordinary. Um, because I think both of them are true, but have got different kinds of uh, significance. On one hand, the extraordinary, ordinary Christian life reminds us how every Christian can have a life that is absolutely extraordinary. Um, The ordinary, extraordinary Christian life I thought was a little more cynical and pointed to the fact that the ordinary Christian life, what the Bible says we all ought to live like, does not happen that often. (laughs) That we live so much like the world so much of the time that we don't possess our possessions. We don't have the birthright that God has given us as his children. And so I flipped back and forth and finally settled on the slightly more optimistic, extraordinary, ordinary Christian life, but I do do tend to flip back and forth. Well, you'll remember that before the Christmas break, we looked at how the extraordinary, ordinary Christian can worship, can come into direct contact with God, how the extraordinary, ordinary Christian can steward their resources, how the extraordinary, ordinary Christian can learn, can actually come into contact with the Word of God and how the extraordinary, ordinary Christian can serve. But today, we're going to talk about how you, as a Christian, have the capacity to study the Word of God for yourself. A Jewish poet once wrote that reading the Bible in translation is like kissing your new bride through a veil. He said that he was trying to convince people to learn Hebrew, and he said that, uh, you know, reading through the Bible in a translation is like kissing your bride through a veil. She's still there, but there's just a little something in the way. <laughs> if that's true, and to some extent it is, you know, when you read the, the original languages, you get uh, the sense of the texture of it. How much more true is it that so many people, so many people who say that they are children of God, only experience God through somebody else? If the only time that you ever have anything to do with the Bible is when I read the Bible to you, that is like kissing your bride through a veil. <laughs> you know, you, you cheat yourself, don't you? you? Why would you experience God? So Jesus came down to earth, died, lived a perfect life and died, rose again so that you could have direct access to God. And then do you know what we do? We sign up for priests again. We say, well, I don't want God directly. I want somebody to bring the Bible to me. I want somebody to chew it up and spit it into my mouth like a baby bird. And that's not the way that we ought to live. 
We, as an, the extraordinary, ordinary Christian, it's extraordinary that the mind of God is accessible to you. But it's ordinary because you don't have to be special. You know, he, everybody can understand it. God has written his word in such a way that it is clear. Now, I'm not saying that uh, every verse of the Bible is equally clear or that you never have to think. But I'm saying that you can read the Bible and you can know what God's will is. And that's extraordinary. It's also very, very ordinary. Now, when we think here about the book of Joshua, we are, of course, it's a new year. We're on the cusp of a lot of uncertainty. That's what a new year always brings is what's going to happen. You know, I, I can look and we've got a baby and that's different. That's new. Um, you know, I never thought that we would stay up to welcome in the new year, but here we were. <laughs> the, uh, you know, we've got some, some changes here in Richwood. We've got a new city manager, and uh, the old city manager and I had things worked out very well. We could do what we needed to do, and you just, you just don't know as things change what's going to happen. Um, I've been the pastor here for two years now, just about this month. And uh, that means that when things go wrong, there's not really anybody I can blame. It was me. <laughs> you know, the, there is a, a sense as we look forward uh, of this kind of new uncertainty. And it's not just me. I know as a society, we look forward. You've got a new president taking office. Um, you've got a changing moral values, a global landscape that's kind of in shift. You know, you have to watch the news just to keep up with what's going on. For, the, for a very long time, we have been enemies with Russia and just kind of wink at the things China does, and now we're going to flip, right? We're going to be enemies with China and wink at the things that Russia does. Or you, you don't know from day to day what the geopolitical climate is going to be. You don't know what the economy is going to do. You know, the oil prices are starting to rise now, but if you had asked when this all started, I don't think anybody believed they could have stayed low this long. And how many people have suffered because of that? You just don't know what's going to happen. And and in fact, coming into a new year, some of you have lost uh, loved ones in the last year. And you're facing a new year without them for the first time. 56 million people, give or take, died last year. And the chances are that you loved one of them. Now, when you combine all those different things and all that uncertainty, it's kind of like standing on a precipice. You know, what's going to happen? Where are we going to go? And that kind of thing can lead to fear. It can paralyze you. (laughs) Some people, when they're nervous, they freeze up and don't do anything, right? That's dangerous. Some people, when they're nervous, just start doing things without thinking. That's also dangerous. (laughs) So as we enter here to the account of Joshua, we are at the edge of the Holy Land. Let's read in Joshua 1.1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Now, put yourself in Joshua's position. You have been Moses' assistant for the last 40 years. Wandering in the wilderness. You, of course, uh, had gone in as a spy, 
and had been one of the minority report that said that God was able to help you take the land. But for the last 40 years, you've been serving Moses, going with Moses. He's been your mentor. He's been your uh, leader. He, in many ways, has probably been your father figure, you know, guiding you, protecting you. Your father had died like all of the other people over the age of 40 in the wilderness. And so now you have Joshua, who is facing the uncertainty of loss. You've got Joshua, who is uh, very much facing a job change. says, you are now the leader of God's people. You've got Joshua, who's facing changing circumstances. For 40 years, his people have been wanderers in the wilderness, and now they are going to go take a land. You've got Joshua, who is facing military conflict. He's facing opposition. You know, you think that you face opposition as a Christian today. There is nobody trying to kill you. You know, there are no giants coming after you. Joshua here then is in this incredible point of fear. Now, what does God say to him? God gives him this assurance. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. God says to, Mo- God says to Joshua, I will give you all the things that I promised. I'm going to give you victory. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you all these things. He says, I am going to give you this land in every direction. I'm going to be with you so that no one can stand against you. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. When this is quoted in Hebrews 13, 5, the word is a little different. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Fail means to let go. I'm never going to let go of you. I'm never going to abandon you. This is God's answer to Joshua's fear in his new season. But look what he says here. (laughs) Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. This is be strong and... And very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now, we have just come up against a problem. God tells Moses, here's what I want you to do. God tells Joshua, I'm sorry. God tells Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Be strong and courageous and do everything that I told Moses. Now, if Joshua were like us, what would you say? What would he say? Say, the law of Moses? That thing was for a bunch of wilderness dwellers wandering around in circles. The law of Moses is so outdated It was okay for them back then, but we're going to be landowners now. We're going to to be in a place. He said, it's one thing to have rules when you're wandering in the wilderness, but we're going to be at nonstop war. We can't be bound by a bunch of old-fashioned principles. 
Abraham that you made those promises to. That was 500 years ago. Can that really apply to us today? (laughs) No. Joshua did not say those things. And Joshua was a man of God, so I don't think that he thought those things. But can you imagine for just a minute how much you have heard today that sounds an awful lot like that? So he says, well, what do we need that old Bible for? You know, that, that was then, this is now. We've got to you have new methods. We've got to do new things for a new world. Uh, some famous uh, leaders of uh, quote-unquote churches say that, you know, you can't expect people to believe in a physical resurrection or a virgin birth anymore. But Joshua doesn't take that attitude. Now, maybe we need to stop for just a moment and look here and see. Joshua is being promised land and success. And so some people take this verse and they look at, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. And they think, oh, yeah. If I'm a faithful Christian, I'm going to be healthy and wealthy. You know, if I just do what God wants me to do, I'm going to be, it's going to be easy. No, if you're sick, hey, it's because you're doing something wrong. If you don't have a lot of money, well, I just wish that you had more faith. They don't normally pitch it like that, do they? But on the TV, they say, look, if you just had more faith, we'll give you, you know. If you'll send in your seed dollars of you know, $20 and 17 cents, then God will plant it and grow it. And look, you'll prosper in whatever you do. Now, you and I know that that's not the case. I can think of a couple of very faithful men that did not experience that. One, of course, Job lost everything that he had. But there's a better example. There's one man who was perfect in faith, who knew the word of God, who did everything right. And he said, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man is nowhere to lay his head. You want to talk about sick? He died at 33. So what is the application of this for us? Well, this is a unique event in salvation history. You understand that God had promised this land to the descendants of Abraham. He'd promised them this prosperity if they would be faithful, if they would obey. God has not made that promise to you. And when you follow the word of God, it's not that you experience that kind of victory. It's that you experience success with what God has called you to do. And what God has called you to do may be suffer. Oh, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? Um, to, to venture out into current events a little bit, one thing that is increasingly bubbling up in our culture is the idea of uh, physician-assisted suicide. You know, I know pastors who... It, it, say that it's okay, you know, that what's the point of living if you're suffering? Now, that is such a narrow view of life, isn't it? The purpose of your life is not to be happy. The purpose of your life is not to have it easy. The purpose of your life is not to have what you want. The purpose of your life is to be an image bearer representing God. And do you know that sometimes when your life is the hardest, you represent the one who suffered and bled and died the most. Sometimes when things do not go your way and you handle it with grace, you are more like Jesus than at any other point in your life. And you don't know what kind of an impact you can have through that. You know, you lose your job or you get cut back on your hours. And you say, you know, this doesn't bother me. 
because I'm looking for a better country, a heavenly. (laughs) There's some power in that, isn't there? But in our society, we are so small in our minds and our thinking that we say, well, if you're not having fun, then you're not living. You see that in advertising. You see that in everything. And it so permeates us that we see people losing their lives. How many times uh, do you see a baby that's aborted because they say, well, they just wouldn't have a life worth living? You know that your life has so much significance and so much power to it. And sometimes the life of suffering is what you need. So when God says here, be strong, courageous, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest, he does not necessarily mean that you'll prosper by the world's standards. So we need to know, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you need to realize that God is the one that gives this land, that everything that you possess belongs to God, and that the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord, that this land is God's to give, so he gives it. You know, if you are a Christian, of course, then you need to understand what is your task? Your task as a Christian is not to possess the land from the Euphrates to the, um, well, to, really, to the Jordan on the other side, to Lebanon. That's not your job. God has not given you that. What has God given you? He says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe whatsoever have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. Now, think about this for a second. Your job, the thing God has promised you success in, is not carrying out a military campaign anywhere. You're a Christian. That's not you. The job God has given you in is waging the war of the gospel, of taking out the gospel, and you will prosper in that. You say, well, does that mean that when I witness to somebody, they they are going to uh, accept Christ every time? No, that's not what that means. What is success? The world measures success in dollars and cents and numbers, right? A lot of churches measure their success in nickels and noses. Isn't that right? You know, how much money do we have? How many people do we have in the seats? But success is faithfulness to the word of God. You say, God has sent me to witness, and so I'm going to tell what God has said. And as long as I tell what God has said, I will prosper in that. I am prospering in God's sight. I am reaping spiritual rewards. So if you're a Christian, that's your job. Now, in your, you know, the public arena, the Israelites were not always impressed by Moses, were they? Sometimes very, very angry with Moses. They tried to kill Moses at one point until God intervened. When you go into the public square like that, do you have the courage to trust God despite the opposition? And one more thing that really jumps out to me that, that I think we ought to, ought to consider here. Joshua was not a pastor, right? He was a military commander. He was a leader of the people. But he needed the word of God in his job. He needed the presence of God in his job. I don't know what you do. But whatever your job is, You need the word of God in your job. (laughs) You need to be faithful to God where you are. Whatever your job is, whatever your place is. You know, if you are a student, you're in school, you you can honor God with that or not. 
if you are, um, you know, a, a teacher, you can honor God with that or not. If you're a truck driver, a pipe fitter, an electrician or whatever, you can honor God with that or not. <laughs> and the difference in whether or not you have the courage to do it is here, whether or not you observe God. So God commands Joshua to have, to be strong and very courageous. And how is he going to have strength and courage? He doesn't say, go sit down and give yourself a pep talk. One of the things that really amuses me is to read these things that say like uh, morning routines for a successful year. I always look and say, okay, well, what is it? You know, it's like, Drink a glass of water with a squirt of lemon in it. Okay. Then uh, stand in front of the mirror and repeat positive things about yourself for three minutes. That's a, I don't know exactly what that's going to do. You know, you stand in the mirror and flirt with yourself. I know some people are very fond of themselves, but I don't know exactly uh, how that's going to help you. People say, you know, uh, write down your, the, the great things about yourself and just trust in yourself. You know, that's not what God tells Joshua, is it? He doesn't say, Joshua, just go, you know, Joshua, believe in yourself. You go, you watch a Disney movie, you go, you watch a Hallmark movie, you just, you just cheer yourself up, and you'll be strong and very courageous, you know? That's not what he says. He doesn't come along as Jiminy Cricket and say, let your conscience be your guide. Because we are fallen human beings, and sometimes our consciences are haywire, you know? Sometimes I can talk myself into something that is not right, and I can talk myself out of something that is right, <laughs> What does he say? He says, Be strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, according to the word of God. How is he going to be strong? How is he going to be courageous? Through the word of God. How is he going to deal with this world where he's lost his mentor, he's lost his leader, he's lost his friend? How is he going to face this new challenge? He's going to do it through the word of God. Verse eight, uh, verse 8, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, so that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Here is the meat of what I really want to talk to you about. He says, are we having some trouble? I don't think our uh, thing's keeping up. There we go. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. In our world, when you try to bring up the scriptures, Sometimes you get some pushback, right? People say you don't talk religion or politics. Well, people are much more comfortable talking politics than they are religion, right? You can talk in polite company about all kinds of things. You know, you, you meet somebody, you talk to them about your restaurants, you talk to them about your football team, you talk to them about this or that or the other. And there's no shame, Right? And you say, why is it that people have no shame 
about all those other things, but they are ashamed of their God. Can you imagine if you were married and you, uh, your wife came with you or your husband came with you to a work party or something, Christmas party at work, and your coworkers said, their coworker, your coworkers said to them, oh, I didn't know that they were married. Never, brought, never mentioned you before. How well do you think the ride home would go over? I don't, I don't even want to speculate what kind of things would be said. But it wouldn't go over very well, would it? You wouldn't be ashamed of your spouse if you wanted to have a happy relationship with your spouse. But when it comes to God, you say, well, yeah, you know, I'm... People find all kinds of ways to dance around it, right? Well, I was raised a Christian. Well, that's not really saying anything, is it? <laughs> that's kind of a non, non-sentence. But we avoid talking about the things that matter. You know, if you're going to be ashamed of something, be ashamed that you're a Cowboys fan. Don't be ashamed of God. <laughs> we have got no courage for the things that matter. But God tells Joshua, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. As a Christian, you have the ability to come and read the word of God. Now, it's really practical things. If you want to study the Bible, one of the best things that you can do is actually just read the Bible out loud. You go, you find a place by yourself, and you read it out loud. Do you know why? Because the more of your brain you involve in it, the more you remember. And you can, we're going to talk about meditation in a minute, but as you read it, you can place emphasis on different parts. Let's say you're reading in John and you come to, I am the resurrection and the life. You read that out loud and you think, what is Jesus saying there? You read it once, you say, I am the resurrection and the life. You say, wow, I am the I am that I am. He is the eternal, self-existent one. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the only one, the only way. You read again, you say, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one that conquers death. He is the power. You read it one last time. I am the resurrection and the life. He is the only life that we have. You know, God cannot give you eternal life apart from himself because there is no such thing. He is our life. And as you read through it out loud and you hear yourself say it, it embeds itself in your heart. You know, faith comes by hearing and you can read it to yourself and hear it. It said the word of the law, shall, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. That means all the time. Now, that means you talk about it you mention it to people, you read it. Moreover, you know, I, I really want to get across here. The Bible is very accessible. You can get a book called The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge for $10. It is a massive book. It's about this thick. And for every verse of the Bible, it has a little bit of the verse and then a bunch of other Bible verses that talk about the same thing. And then a little bit of the verse and a bunch of other Bible verses that talk about the same thing. You will probably on every verse find 30 or 40 cross-references. And you say, I don't know what this means. I could ask Justin. Well, you can do that. That's fine. I'm happy to help you. I don't want to, this is about to sound bad. But what about if before you did that, 
you got out a little cross-reference book. Maybe you've got a study Bible and it's got cross-references in it. And you ask the Bible what that verse means. And you let Scripture interpret Scripture. What if you did that? Imagine the kind of power that you could have in your Bible study by letting the Scripture interpret itself. So the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. But really, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. You say, I can't understand it. What did he say in verse 7? Don't turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Now, you know what that tells me? If God says, don't go to the right or to the left, that tells me he expects that you can figure out where the middle is. I I can go further with that, I I believe. In um, 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So if you're not a Christian, you're right. You cannot understand the Bible. But according to 1 Corinthians 2.14, if you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is your own private interpreter. God is in your heart to explain it to you. Now, that does not mean, let me make this clear, that you get to look at this verse and say, you know, what this means to me is if um, you ever go to a Bible study or something uh, at our church and somebody starts it out by saying, well, let's all go around the table and say what this verse means to us. Tell me because I'm going to burn that classroom down. Because you do not get to invent your own meaning for the Bible. God has spoken and he has not stuttered. Now we get to say, you know, this is what I think this verse is saying because of the context, because the words used here, because these other verses. You can do that. But saying, you know, to me this means, I mean, with many verses, that people abuse like that. Um, as a, when I was teaching at Barry Christian, one of my favorite things to do was to see the um, football games where both teams had on their banners, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's like, oh boy, what's going to happen? How is God going to make both of them win? You don't get to just take a verse and make it say what you think it ought to say. So, the natural man, the whole, you have to let the Holy Spirit teach you to understand the Bible in its context. You know, and of course here, uh, Psalm 119.18, Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. So when you start reading the Bible, I should have said this first. Before you sit there and read it out loud, pray. Pray, Lord, help me to see your truth in your word. And then read it out loud to yourself. And you say, well, you know, I just, uh, I am so busy. I just, I just don't have time to do that. Here is a really fascinating thing. Nielsen, the people that do the TV ratings, they know you better than you know you because they've got things in the TV boxes. So you say, well, I just don't, I don't watch that much TV. Nielsen did a study that the average American is in front of a TV screen for four hours and 51 minutes a day. Five hours a day. Now, let's let's step back for a minute. Do you know how long it would take you to read through the Bible? If you read it out loud, and I assume most of us read faster in our heads than we read out loud, but if you read it out loud, I've got a copy 
of uh, James Earl Jones, a James Earl Jones audio Bible. You do not read slower than James Earl Jones talks, all right? Um, that, that, as a, a side note, don't buy that audio Bible. It is so relaxing that it's very difficult to stay focused on what he's saying. It takes James Earl Jones 78 hours to read from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation. 78 hours. Let's call it 80 hours and say the average American spends five hours a day in front of the TV. That means that in 16 days, if you gave up TV and read the Bible instead, you would read the Bible from cover to cover. Their study went a little further than that because we all know that the, average, that the media we consume is not all in front of the TV. The average American, if you include listening to the radio, if you include watching TV, if you include being on your phone, spends 10 and a half hours a day consuming some form of media. You listen to the radio while you're driving. You do these different things. But if when you're watching TV, you read, and instead of listening to the radio, you listen to an audio Bible, you could finish the entire Bible in a week. And some Christians go their entire lives and don't. It's the beginning of the new year. You know, if you read the Bible for 15 minutes a day, you will finish the Bible in a year. Three chapters a day and five chapters on Sundays, you'd finish the Bible in a year. You say, well, I just don't have 15 minutes to spare. Okay. I'm very sorry you've got such a busy life. You know, you spend 15 minutes a day standing in front of the microwave watching it count down. You, know? <laughs> you have time for what you make time for. Isn't that right? Now, if you've never had a consistent program of Bible reading and you say, I'm just not ready to tackle the whole Bible, you know, that's fine too. If you start with the New Testament... And you read from Matthew to Revelation, it take you about 20 hours. Now, do you have an hour a day for three weeks to read through the New Testament? If you read about a chapter of the New Testament a day, you'll read through the Bible in a year. you read through the New Testament in a year. Now, so why is it that we spend so much time kissing our bride through a veil? It's not that it's unaccessible. It's not that there's too much of it. It's not that we can't understand it because God will open our eyes to understand it. I've got a, a quote that I printed out because I wanted to get it just right so you can blame somebody else. R.C. Sproul said it like this. Here, then, is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Now, let's let's, let's try to gather this up again. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. So first, we need to, of course, know God's with us and pray. Then we read it, we observe it. You can get a study Bible, whatever. If you're looking for a good one, let me know. I'll help you find one. A Bible dictionary to look things up. You know, there's no excuse not to know things, especially if you're saying you're going to do the New Testament in a year. If you're going to do the New Testament in a year, you will spend about five minutes a day reading the Scripture. One chapter. Then if you spend, if you spend another ten minutes thinking about it, looking at it, looking things up, there's no reason for you not to have a sense of it. 
Then it says, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. We, our culture has hijacked the word meditation. When you think meditation, you think, um, I'm going to empty my mind, um, you know, emptying your mind is easier for some people than others, but I still don't recommend it, right? Some people can get it done very quickly. Um, done, right? But do you know Christian meditation is not about emptying your mind? Trying to empty your mind is the dumbest thing that you can do. You ever sit in a room by yourself and say, I'm not going to worry about this thing that I'm worried about. I know that it has the potential to mess me up like this and that and the other, and wow, if I think about it, that could be really, really bad, but I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about how it's going to affect me tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about how it's going to affect me next week. You're like the... uh, Benjamin Franklin talked about uh, you could uh, rank your humility every day. And just when you said you'd mastered it, you know it was time to start over. You, think, you sit there and you think how you're going to empty your mind, and your mind is full. But what do you do instead? He says you fill your mind with something else. Whatsoever is good, whatsoever is holy, whatsoever is pure, think on these things. You fill your mind with the Word of God. Do you know how you have to do that? Oh, here it goes. You've got to memorize it. You can't think on it all the time unless it's in your mind. And you say, I've got a terrible memory. I bet you know the names of all your kids, you know your phone number, you know your address. You memorize the things that are important to you, don't you? Anna something, I don't know. You memorize the things that are important to you. I want you to imagine uh, husbands if you missed your wife's birthday and she came to you and said, what in the world happened? Do you, did you forget my birthday again? You say, honey, I've just got such a terrible memory. I want you to try that. Don't try that on the car ride home from the time that her, your coworkers found out she didn't know who you, you didn't know who she was. But try that. See how that goes. Say, you know, you can memorize it if you really want to. You can remember what you want to remember. There's techniques, there's all kinds of things. You know, I always tell people to do it in rounds, you know. The book of the law. The book of the law shall not depart. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. The book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate. The book of the law. You do that, and in 10 minutes, you've memorized any verse you want to memorize. Write it down, say it out loud while you write it down. Write down the first letters of each word and read it back to yourself just from the first letters. There's all kinds of things you can do. You can memorize it if you will. If you decide that meditating on the Word of God is important to you, then you will learn it and think through it. You will soak it up. Meditate therein day and night, consistently all the time. Vance Havner says, the alternative to discipline is disaster. You can make the time. Now, for thou shalt make thy way prosperous. I'm sorry, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Do you know what you've got to do? God did not give us the Bible to make us smarter sinners. God gave us the Bible to make us more like the Savior. You can be the smartest sinner out there, and it will not do you any good. God wants it to change your actions. He wants it to change your heart. He wants it to change you. So we learn the Bible so that we can do it. 
We learn about God so that we can know God. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Do you know, you say that you love God. Jesus said in John 14, 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is it that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. If you say you love God and you don't do, no, you don't do what he says, do you know what that tells me? You are a liar. <laughs> you say you love God and you decide to do things your way instead, you're a liar. You don't love God. 